0: Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White, Chapter One. Chapter One, Sam. Walking back to camp through the swamp, Sam wondered whether to tell his father what he had seen. I know one thing he said to himself, I'm going back to that little pond again tomorrow, and I'd like to go alone. If I tell my father what I saw today, he will want to go with me. I'm not sure that's a very good idea. Sam was 11, his last name was Beaver. He was strong for his age and had black hair and dark eyes like an Indian. Sam walked like an Indian too, putting one foot straight in front of the other and making very little noise. The swamp through which he was traveling was a wild place. There was no trail and it was boggy underfoot which made walking difficult. Every four or five minutes, Sam took his compass out of his pocket and checked his course to make sure he was headed in a westerly direction. Canada is a big place. Much out of his wilderness, to get lost in the woods and swamps of western Canada would be a serious matter. As he trudged on, the boy's mind was full of the wonder of what he had seen. Not many people in the world had seen the nest of a trumpeter swan. Sam had found one on the lonely pond on this day in spring. He had seen the two great white birds with their long white necks and black bills. "'Nothing he had ever seen before in all his life "'had made him feel quite the way he felt "'on that wild little pond "'in the presence of those two enormous swans. "'They were so much bigger "'than any bird he had ever seen before. "'The nest was big too, a mound of sticks and grasses. "'The female was sitting on eggs. "'The male glided slowly back and forth, guarding her. "'When Sam reached camp, tired and hungry, "'he found his father frying a couple of fish for lunch. "'Where have you been?' asked Mr. Beaver." "'Exploring,' replied Sam. "'I walked over to a pond about a mile and a half from here. "'It's the one we see from the air as we're coming in. "'It isn't much of a place, nowhere as big as this lake we're on.' "'Did you see anything over there?' asked his father. "'Well,' said Sam, "'it's a swampy pond with a lot of reeds and cattails. "'I don't think it would be any good for fishing, "'and it's hard to get to. "'You have to cross cross a swamp.' "'See anything?' repeated Mr. Beaver. "'I saw a muskrat,' said Sam, "'and a few red-winged blackbirds.' Mr. Beaver looked up from the wood stove where the fish were sizzling in a pan. Sam, he said, I know you like to go exploring, but don't forget, these woods and marshes are not like the country around home in Montana. If you go ever go over to that pond again, be careful you don't get lost. I don't like you crossing swamps. They're treacherous. You could step into a soggy place and get bogged down, and there wouldn't be anybody to pull you out. I'll be careful, said Sam. He knew perfectly well he would be going back to the pond where the swans were, and he had no intention of getting lost in the woods. He felt relieved that he had not told his father about seeing the swans, but he felt queer about it, too. Sam was not a sly boy, but he was odd in one respect. He liked to keep things to himself, and he liked being alone, particularly when he was in the woods. He enjoyed the life on his father's cattle ranch in the sweet grass country of Montana. He loved his mother, he loved Duke, his cow pony, he loved riding the range, he loved watching the guests who came to board at the Beavers Ranch every summer. But the thing he enjoyed most in life was these camping trips in Canada with his father. Mrs. Beaver didn't care for the woods so she seldom went along. It was usually just Sam and Mr. Beaver. They would motor to the border and cross into Canada. There, Mr. Beaver would hire a bush pilot to fly them to the lake where his camp was for a few days of fishing and loafing and exploring. Mr. Beaver did most of the fishing and loafing. Sam did the exploring. And then the pilot would return to take them out. His name was Shorty. They would hear the sound of his motor and run out and wave and watch him glide down onto the lake and taxi his plane into the dock. These were the pleasantest days of Sam's life, these days in the woods, far, far from everywhere. No automobiles, no roads, no people, no noise, no school, no homework, no problems, except the problem of getting lost. And of course, the problem of what to be when he grew up. Every boy has that problem. After supper that evening, Sam and his father sat for a while on the porch. Sam was reading a bird book. Pop, said Sam, Do you think we'll be coming back to camp again about a month from now? I mean, in about 35 days or something like that? I guess so, replied Mr. Beaver. I certainly hope so. But why 35 days? What's so special about 35 days? Oh, nothing, said Sam. I just thought it might be very nice around here in 35 days. That's the craziest thing I ever heard of, said Mr. Beaver. It's nice here all the time. Sam went indoors. He knew a lot about birds and he knew it would take a swan about 35 days to hatch her eggs. He hoped he could be at the pond to see the young ones when they came out of the eggs. Sam kept a diary, a day book about his life. It was just a cheap notebook that was always by his bed. Every night before he turned in, he would write in the book. He wrote about things he had done, things he had seen, and thoughts he had had. Sometimes he drew a picture He always ended by asking himself a question so he would have something to think about while falling asleep. On the day he found the swan's nest, this is what Sam wrote in his diary. I saw a pair of trumpeter swans today on a small pond east of camp. The female has a nest with eggs on it. I saw three, but I'm going to put four in the picture. I think she was laying another one. This is the greatest discovery I ever made in my life. I did not tell Pop. My bird book says baby swans are called cygnets. I'm going back tomorrow to visit the great swans again. I heard a fox bark today. Why does a fox bark? Is it because he's mad or worried or hungry? Or because he's sending a message to another fox? Why does a fox bark? Sam closed his notebook, undressed, crawled into his bunk and lay there with his eyes closed, wondering why a fox barks. In a few minutes, he was asleep. Trumpet of the Swan Chapter 2 The Pond The pond, Sam had discovered on that spring morning, was seldom visited by any human being. All winter, snow had covered the ice. The pond lay cold and still under its white blanket. Most of the time, there wasn't a sound to be heard. The frog was asleep. The chipmunk was asleep. Occasionally, a jay would cry out. And sometimes at night, the fox would bark, a high, rasping bark. Winter seemed to last forever. Forever. But one day a change came over the woods and the pond. Warm air, soft and kind, blew through the trees. The ice, which had softened during the night, began to melt. Patches of open water appeared. All the creatures that lived in the pond and in the woods were glad to feel the warmth. They heard and felt the breath of spring, and they stirred with new life and hope. There was a good new smell in the air, a smell of earth waking after its long sleep. The frog buried in the mud at the bottom of the pond knew that spring was here. The chickadee knew and delighted. Almost everything delights a chickadee. The vixen dozing in her den knew she would soon have kits. Every creature knew that a better, easier time was at hand. Warmer days, pleasanter nights. Trees were putting out green buds. The buds were swelling. Birds began arriving from the south. A pair of ducks flew in. The red-winged blackbird arrived and scouted the pond for nesting sites. A small sparrow with a white throat arrived and sang. Oh, sweet Canada, Canada, Canada. And if you had been sitting by the pond on that first warm day of spring, suddenly toward the end of the afternoon, (coughs) you would have heard a stirring sound high above you in the air, a sound like the sound of a trumpet. go ho go ho And if you looked up, you would have seen high overhead two great white birds, They flew swiftly, their legs outstretched out behind them, their long white necks stretched out ahead, their powerful wings beating steady and strong. Coho, 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 a thrilling noise in the sky the trumpeting of swans. When the birds spotted the pond, they began circling, looking for a place over from the air. Then they glided down and came to rest in the water, folding their long wings neatly along their sides and turning their heads this way and that to study their new surroundings. They were trumpeter swans, pure white birds with black bills. They had liked the looks of the swampy pond and had decided to make it their home for a while and raise a family. The two swans were tired from the long flight. They were glad to be down out of the sky they paddled slowly about and then began feeding, thrusting their necks into the shallow water, and pulling roots and plants from the bottom. Everything about the swans was white, except for their bills and their feet. these were black; they carried their heads high. The pond seemed a different place because of their arrival for the next few days. The swans rested when they were hungry, they ate. When they were thirsty, which was a great deal of the time, they drank. On the tenth day, the female began looking around to find a place to build her nest. In the spring of the year, nest building is uppermost in a bird's mind. It is the most important thing there is. If she picks a good place, she stands a good chance of hatching her eggs and rearing her young. If she picks a poor place, she may fail to raise a family. The female swan knew this. She knew the decision she was making was extremely important. The first, two, the first the two swans first investigated the upper end of the pond, where a stream flowed slowly in. It was pleasant there with reeds and bulrushes. Red-winged blackbirds were busy nesting in this part of the pond, and a pair of mallard ducks were courting. Then the swans swam to the lower end of the pond, a marsh with woods on one side and a deer meadow on the other. It was lonely here. For one shore, a point of land extended out into the pond. It was a sandy strip like a little peninsula and at the tip of it a few feet out into the water was a tiny island hardly bigger than a dining table. One small tree grew on the island and there were rocks and ferns and grasses. Take a look at this exclaimed the female as she swam round and round. Koho replied her husband who liked to have someone ask his advice. The swan stepped cautiously out onto the island. The spot seemed made to order just right for a nesting place. While the male swan floated close by, watching, she snooped about till she found a pleasant spot on the ground. She sat down to see how it felt to be sitting there. She decided it was the right size for her body. It was nicely located, a couple of feet from the water's edge, very convenient. She turned to her husband. What do you think? she said. An ideal location, he replied, a perfect place. And I will tell you why it's a perfect place, he continued majestically. If an enemy, a fox or a coon or a coyote or a skunk, wanted to reach this spot with murder in his heart, he'd have to enter the water and get wet. And before he could enter the water, he'd have to walk the whole length of that point of land. And by that time, we'd see him or hear him, and I would give him a hard time. The male stretched out his great wings eight feet from tip to tip and gave the water a mighty clout to show his strength. This made him feel better right away. When a trumpeter swan hits an enemy with his wing, it's like being hit by a baseball bat. A male swan, by the way, is called a cob. No one knows why, but that's what he's called. A good many animals have special names. A male goose is called a gander. A male cow is called a bull. A male sheep is called a ram. A male chicken is called a rooster, and so on. Anyway, the thing to remember is that a male swan is called a cob. The cob's wife pretended not to notice their husband was showing off, but she saw it all right, and she was proud of his strength and his courage. As husbands go, he was a good one. The cob watched his beautiful wife sitting out there on the tiny island. To his great joy, he saw her begin to turn slowly round and around, keeping always in the same spot, treading the mud and grass. She was making the first motions of nesting. First she squatted down in the place she had chosen. Then she twisted round and around, tamping the earth with her broad webbed feet, hollowing out to make it like a saucer. Then she reached out and pulled twigs and grasses toward her and dropped them at her sides and under her tail. "'shaping the nest to her body. "'The cob floated close to, his, close to his mate. "'He studied every move she made. "'Now another medium-sized stick, my love,' he said. "'And she poked her splendid, long, white, graceful neck "'as far as it would go, picked up a stick, "'and placed it at her side. "'Now another bit of coarse grass,' said the cob, "'with great dignity. "'The female reached for grasses, for moss, for twigs, "'anything that was handy.' slowly carefully she built up the nest until she was sitting on a big grassy mound she worked the task for a couple of hours then knocked off for the day and slid into the pond again to take a drink and have lunch a fine start said the cob as he gazed back at the nest a perfect beginning i don't know how you manage it so cleverly it comes naturally replied his wife there's a lot of work to it but on the whole it is pleasant work Yes, said the Cobbin, when you're done, you have something to show for your trouble. You have a swan's nest six feet across. What other bird can say that? Well, said his wife, maybe an eagle can say it. Yes, but in that case, it wouldn't be a swan's nest. It would be an eagle's nest, and it would be high up in some old dead tree somewhere instead of right down near the water with all the conveniences that go with water. They both laughed at this. Then they began trumpeting and splashing and scooping up water and throwing it on their backs, darting about as though they had suddenly gone crazy with delight. Coho, 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 they cried. Every wild creature within a mile and a half of the pond heard the trumpeting of the swan. The fox heard, the raccoon heard, the skunk heard. One pair of ears heard that did not belong to a wild creature, but the swans did not know that. Trumpet of the Swan, Chapter 3, A Visitor. One day, almost a week later, the swan slipped quietly into her nest and laid an egg. Each day she tried to deposit one egg in the nest. Sometimes she succeeded, sometimes she didn't. There were now three eggs, and she was ready to lay a fourth. As she sat there, her husband, the cob, floating gracefully nearby, she had a strange feeling that she was being watched. It made her uneasy. Birds don't like to be stared at. They particularly dislike being stared at when they're on a nest. So the swan twisted and turned and peered everywhere. She gazed intently at the point of land that jutted out into the pond near the nest. With her sharp eyes, she searched the nearby shore for signs of an intruder. What she finally saw gave her the surprise of her life. There, seated on a log on the point of land, was a small boy. He was being very quiet, and he had no gun. Do you see what I see? The swan whispered to her husband. No, what? Over there on that log, it's a boy. Now what are we going to do? How did a boy get here, whispered the cob. We are deep in the wilds of Canada. There are no human beings for miles around. That's what I thought too, she replied. But if that isn't a boy over there on the log, my name isn't Cygnus Buchanator. The cob was furious. I didn't fly all the way north into Canada to get involved with a boy, he said. We came here to this idyllic spot, this remote little hideaway, so we could enjoy some well-deserved privacy. Well, said his wife, I'm sorry to see the boy too, but I must say he's behaving himself. He sees us, but he's not throwing stones. He's not throwing sticks. He's not messing around. He's simply observing. I do not wish to be observed, complained the cob. I did not travel all this immense distance into the heart of Canada to be observed. Furthermore, I don't want you to be observed, except by me. You're laying an egg, that is, I hope you are, and you are entitled to privacy. It has been my experience that all boys throw stones and sticks. It is their nature. I'm going over and strike that boy with my powerful wing, and he'll think he's been hit with a bully club. billy club. I'll knock him cold. Now, just wait a minute, said the swan. There's no use starting a fight. This boy is not bothering me at the moment. He's not bothering you either. But how did he get here, said the cob, who was no longer talking in a whisper, but was beginning to shout. How did he get here? Boys can't fly, and there are no roads in this part of Canada. We're 50 miles from the nearest highway. Maybe he's lost, said the swan. Maybe he's starving to death. Maybe he wants to rob the nest and eat the eggs. But I doubt it. He doesn't look hungry. Anyway... I've started this nest and I have three beautiful eggs and the boy's behaving himself at the moment and I intend to go right ahead and try for a fourth egg. Good luck, my love, said the cob. I shall be here by your side to defend you if anything happens. Lay the egg. For the next hour, the cob paddled slowly round and around the island, keeping watch. His wife remained quietly on the nest. Sam sat on his log, hardly moving a muscle. He was spellbound at the sight of the swans. They were the biggest water birds he had ever seen. He had heard their trumpeting and had searched the woods and swamps until he had found the pond and located the nest. Sam knew enough about birds to know that these were trumpeters. Sam always felt happy when he was in a wild place among wild creatures. Sitting on his log watching the swans, he had the same good feeling some people get when they are sitting in church. After he had watched for an hour, Sam got up he walked slowly and quietly away, putting one foot ahead of, straight ahead of the other, Indian fashion, hardly making a sound. The swans watched him go. When the female left the nest, she turned and looked back. There, safely lying in the soft feathers at the bottom of the nest, was a fourth egg. The cob waddled out onto the island and looked in the nest. A masterpiece, he said, an egg of supreme beauty and perfect proportions. I would say that that egg is almost five inches in length. His wife was pleased. When the swan had laid five eggs, she felt satisfied. She gazed at them proudly. Then she settled herself on the nest to keep her eggs warm. Carefully, she reached down with her bill and poked each egg until it was in just the right spot to receive the heat from her body. The cob cruised around close by to keep her company and protect her from enemies. He knew that a fox prowled somewhere in the woods and he had heard him barking on nights when the hunting was good. Days passed, and still the swan sat quietly on the five eggs. Nights passed. She sat and sat, giving her warmth to the eggs. No one disturbed her. The boy was gone. Perhaps he would never come back. Inside of each egg, something was happening that she couldn't see. A little swan was taking shape. As the weeks went by, the days grew longer. The nights grew shorter. When a rainy day came, the swan just sat still and let it rain. "'My dear,' said her husband, the cop, one afternoon, "'do you never find your duties onerous or irksome? "'Do you never tire of sitting in one place "'in one position covering the eggs "'with no diversions, no pleasures, "'no escapades, no capers? "'Do you never suffer from boredom?' "'No,' replied his wife, "'not really.' "'Isn't it uncomfortable to sit on eggs?' "'Yes, it is,' replied the wife, "'but I can put up with a certain amount of discomfort "'for the sake of bringing young swans into the world.' "'Do you know how many more days you must sit?' he asked." haven't any ideas,' she said, "'but I noticed that the ducks at the other end of the pond "'have hatched their young ones. "'I noticed that the red-winged blackbirds have hatched theirs, "'and the other evening I saw a striped skunk hunting along the shore, "'and she had four little skunks with her. "'So I think I must be getting near the end of my time. "'With any luck, we will soon be able to see our children, "'our beautiful little cygnets. "'Don't you ever feel the pangs of hunger "'or suffer the tortures of thirst?' asked the cop.' Yes, I do, said his mate. As a matter of fact, I could use a drink right now. The afternoon was warm. The sun was bright. The swan decided she could safely leave her eggs for a few minutes. She stood up. First, she pushed some loose feathers around the eggs, hiding them from view and giving them a warm covering in her absence. Then she stepped off the nest and entered the water. She took several quick drinks. Then she glided over to a shallow place, thrust her head underwater, and pulled up tender greens from the bottom. She next took a bath by tossing water over herself. Then she waddled out onto a grassy bank and stood there preening her feathers. The swan felt good. She had no idea that an enemy was near. She failed to notice the red fox as he watched her from his hiding place behind a clump of bushes. The fox had been attracted to the pond by the sound of splashing water. He hoped he would find a goose. Now he sniffed the air and smelled the swan. Her back was turned so he began creeping slowly toward her. She would be too big for him to carry, but he decided he would kill her anyway and get a taste of blood. The cob, her husband, was still floating on the pond. He spied the fox first. Look out! He trumpeted, "'Look out for the fox who is creeping towards you even as I speak, his eyes bright, his bushy tail out straight, his mind lusting for blood, his belly almost touching the ground. You are in grave danger, and we must act immediately.'" While the cob was making this elegant speech of warning, something happened that surprised everybody. Just as the fox was about to spring and sink his teeth in the swan's neck, a stick came hurting through the air. It struck the fox full on the nose, and he turned and ran away. The two swans couldn't imagine what had happened. Then they noticed a movement in the bushes. Out stepped Sam Beaver, the boy who'd visited them a month ago. Sam was grinning. In his hand, he held another stick in case the fox should return. But the fox was in no mood to return. He had a very so- sore nose, and he had lost his appetite for fresh swan. Hello, said Sam in a low voice. Coho, coho, replied the cob. Coho, said his wife. The pond rang with the trumpet sounds, sounds of triumph over the fox, sounds of victory and gladness. Sam was thrilled at the noise of the swans, which some people say is like the sound of a French horn. He walked slowly around the shore to the little point of land near the island and sat down on his log. The swans now realized beyond any doubt that the boy was their friend. He had saved the swan's life. He had been in the right place at the right time and with the right ammunition. The swans felt grateful. The cop swam over toward Sam, climbed out of the pond, and stood close to the boy, looking at him in a friendly way and arching his neck gracefully. Once he ran his neck far out cautiously and almost touched the boy. Sam never moved a muscle. His heart thumped from excitement and joy. The female paddled back to her nest and returned to the job of warming the eggs. She felt lucky to be alive. That night, before Sam crawled into his bunk at camp, he got out his notebook and found a pencil. This is what he wrote. I don't know of anything in the entire world more wonderful to look at than a nest with eggs in it. An egg, because it contains life, is the most perfect thing there is. It is beautiful and mysterious. An egg is a far finer thing than a tennis ball or a cake of soap. A tennis ball will always just be a tennis ball. A cake of soap will always be a cake of soap until it gets so small nobody wants it and they throw it away. But an egg will someday be a living creature. A swan's egg will open and out will come a little swan. A nest is almost as wonderful and mysterious as an egg. How does a bird know how to make a nest? Nobody ever taught her. How does a bird know how to build a nest? Sam closed his notebook, said goodnight to his father, blew out his lamp, and climbed into his bunk. He lay there wondering how a bird knows how to build a nest. Pretty soon his eyes closed, and he was asleep.